My name is Dr. Randy Tabor from Olivet United Methodist Church. It's been a privilege for me to serve this church for 23 years and to come into your homes. We have a large following by way of television and radio and YouTube and Facebook, and we want to thank Robin and Darwin and Gary and all of our wonderful staff that makes this possible. Again, we welcome you here to Olivet United Methodist Church, where we have the most wonderful organist that plays talented organ music. I know many of you join us to hear the organ music, others to hear the preaching, the singing. We're one of very few churches that have assembled, and we we welcome you to our service. We thank you for your prayers and your presence. At this time, I'm going to call on our beloved Kurt, who also goes by the name of Boone. Would you like to introduce yourself to the television audience and then also let us know what scripture you've chosen? I'm known as Boone. That's my biker name. My Christian name is Kurt Tyke. And today we're going to read responsibly number 665 in your insert, Love the Greatest Thing, the triumphal entry that you've chosen. That's good. They were now approaching Jerusalem, and when they reached Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples with these instructions. If anyone asks, why are you doing that? say, our master needs it, and we'll send it back here without delay. They were untying it when some of the bystanders asked, what are you doing untying that colt? So they brought the colt to Jesus and spread their cloaks on it, and he mounted. And those who went ahead and the others who came behind shouted, Hosanna, blessings on him who comes in the name of the Lord. When he entered Jerusalem, The whole city went wild with excitement. Who is this, people asked, from Mark 11 and Matthew 21. Amen. Thank you. Again, it's a real honor and privilege. An hour before our service, Pastor Ira, Pastor Ira Sims has Sunday school, and you're encouraged to come an hour early to have more kind of form of dialogue, conversation, and Ira always prepares a topic. I think he always comes prepared with a topic. And then if there is any questions on any other issues, he'll certainly deal with those too. That's the hour before worship. This past week we had eight ways gateways and it's so exciting that Pastor George Groves, a retired Wisconsin minister, joined us and all of the Minnesota's Preachers gain a lot of wisdom from Wisconsin. Yes, uh, I thought I'd desire a response there from Michael. And then there's also a card in the back for Elsie, Elsie Boquist, who's been dealing with um, a form of cancer, and it's really good. I mean, it's good reports that she's been having, and she wanted to make it to be with us, and she financially supports this church in a a wonderful way. And uh, her brother, her only brother, recently passed away last week, and so there's a sympathy card to Elsie. Also, all of the directories are done, and if you haven't got a directory, be sure and talk to Chris. I'm wondering, maybe Boone, I wonder if Boone has one. We want to make sure that, okay, good. Let us bow in a word of prayer. Father God, we want to thank you for the tremendous support that we have by way of television and 
radio and YouTube and Facebook and the tremendous response that we, we receive. And we thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being able to come into the homes in the hearts of those by way of television, radio, and YouTube, and Facebook. God, you've provided us with tremendous opportunities in this day and this age that we live in. We sense much chaos and confusion, the growing depth and width of unbelief, and the patronizing of religion, and the utilization which you experienced in your day when the scribes and the Pharisees rejected you. And much more will they reject us, Christians, the true believers in Christ. I thank you this morning for Sarah, and we just pray, Father, that as she's a blessing to us, we pray that we would be a blessing to her. I thank you for the conversations that I've had with her, and, and so many times when, when we invite people to church, we, we feel that um, our invent, invitations are, are re- responded by, oh yes, I'll, we'll see you, we'll see you in church, but Sarah, follow through with her commitment and, and her willingness to come and check us out. And we pray that as she is welcomed by us, we pray that we welcome those by way of television and radio and the tremendous outreach that we have. We may be small in numbers, but we're high in quality. We thank you, Father, for the musical number that's going to be shared by brothers Lee and Gary here shortly. We ask, Lord, that you'd bless Mike as he um, prepares this coming week for sharing next Sunday as he talks about the edification of believers. We pray, Father, that you would bless our scripture. Many of those by way of television, radio, and YouTube, and Facebook um, follow along in reading of scripture, Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. And we ask your blessings upon that scripture, Matthew chapter 22, 1 through 14 that many, many are called, but it seems like few are chosen. We pray, Father, that we may be found faithful, not in our proclamation, but in our follow-through, not only in our declaration, but in our actions, not only in the the talk that we talk, but in the, the walk that we walk. And Lord, we pray all this, asking your blessings upon our offerings and our our prayers and our, our worship and our our scripture and the messages that are given today and the music that is shared. As you taught us to pray, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. At this time, we call on Lee and Gary and Michael. Would you come up and get stationed, ready for the scripture? And if you're joining us by television, again, the scripture is Matthew chapter 22, 1 through 14.
Good morning, brothers and sisters. Our gospel reading today is from the book of Matthew, chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. Once again, Matthew 22, 1 through 14. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The king of heaven may be compared to a king who gave his marriage feast to his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the marriage feast. But they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, Behold, I have made ready my dinner. My oxen, my fat calves are killed, and everything is ready. Come to the marriage feast. But they made light of it and went off, one to his farm, another to their business, while the rest seized the servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned down their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the thoroughfares and invite to the marriage feast as many as you can find. And those servants went out into the streets and gathered all they could find, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there was a man who had no wedding garment on. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendant, attendant, Bind him both hand and foot, and cast him into the outer darkness. There men will weep and gnash their teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Jesus started the analogy, I think his intent was to let the listeners know there's a very large or stark difference between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom here on earth. In this analogy, a king was planning a wedding feast for his son. I think he used the wedding analogy because it's a big event in most of our lives. It's also a big significant fact that the church is often referred to in the Bible as Christ's bride. The king sent his servants out to invite people to the wedding feast, but all the attendants refused to attend. You know what? This reminds me that many people hear the good news of Jesus Christ and Jesus' invitation to spend eternity with him in heaven. But some ignore it. And they have no use for the free invite. I personally don't think there's any valid excuse for declining that invitation from Jesus. Knowing now that none of the invitees will attend, he sent the servants out again with the instructions to invite everyone they come in contact with. He told them to tell them the animals are already sacrificed and the dinner has already been prepared. This resembles the gospel message. The impossibly hard work has already been done for us by Jesus. It's not like you'll get to heaven and uh, attend the feast and have to serve yourself. No, God has everything already laid out and planned for us. It's already done. The second invitation offering free banquet food was once again ignored. And the invites went about their business, ignoring the invitation as usual. To make matters even worse, they took the messengers that were given the free invitation and they killed them. I believe this is an analogy for accepting Christ's offer 
of a saved soul. I would like to add the words I'm grateful and I'm thankful for the people that took the servants that were inviting them and killing them. That describes them very good. I'm thankful and ungrateful. Now the king that had prepared the wedding feast decided that all the invite invitees that he had asked, they weren't worthy. I hope you catch the analogy here. Those invited dismissed a royal invitation to a spectacular event already prepared for them, free at the wedding feast. Don't forget the king's servants extending this invitation were killed. The king had those that ignored his invitation and even the entire town destroyed. Those that ignored the king's invitation lost not only their lives, they lost not only their lives, but everything they had. That reminds me, Jesus' disciples were killed. They were all murdered. And even today in the world, people that bring the good news of Jesus Christ are murdered and killed. Now, the king was like, that's it. I have to build the wedding feast for my son. So he once again sold, told his servants to go out and invite every single person they came across. So they went out and did this. They invited the good and they invited the bad. We should notice the huge amount of grace on the king's part. This is grace. He'd already sent servants out two times. They even lost their lives doing it to fill this feast. But he did it one more time and told them to invite everybody. The king was pleased when he found the wedding feast full of people. So he went down and took a closer look at the invitees and to see the guests and meet them. Upon his review, he was down there, he noticed that one guy did not have on the wedding garments. That was a no-no in that culture. When you attended a wedding, you had to wear the wedding garments. The guest, that guest looked out of place and stood out like a sore thumb. The king confronted this man and asked him, where's your wedding garment? Why don't you have it on? The man was speechless. He, not only, he didn't even have a bad answer for the king. He's just like. This reminds me of the indifference of people that hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they ignore it. They get destroyed. Just like that town. They suffer the same kind of fate that that man did. Because the king, when he came down and found the man that didn't have his garments on and couldn't answer why, he had him bound and gagged and thrown into. Jesus sends this section with a very familiar saying. We've all heard this one. Many are called, but few are chosen. We start understand, after all, that this man was not sent 
to the bad place. Because the king wanted him to do it, he did it because he did not, chose not to wear the garment and attend the wedding uh, ceremony, the feast. People have asked me, Mike, why is God, your God, so good? He sends people to hell for eternity. I have one answer. God does not will them to hell or send them to hell. They get there themselves by ignoring and dismissing the great, awesome, outstanding news that their sins have already been paid for by Jesus. God gave us the free will to do that. We're not robots. We either accept the invitation or we don't. Thank you, Mike. Would you, would you all please stand with me for the reading of the scripture on your bulletin, insert 624, 624, the Great Commission. Thank you, Gary and Lee, for that fine number, and for Mike and Claris. Oftentimes, I feel that we could almost have the benediction and go home blessed. Mike does a wonderful job there, and if you would like to share at any time, I would certainly allow you to share. This portion of scripture is taken from Matthew chapter 28, Luke 24, Acts 1, and Mark 18. God bless the reading of his word. Oh, would you please? Thanks. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw, they worshipped him. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always to the close of the age. Then Jesus opened their minds like we need our minds opened to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer, suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be preached in the name, Jesus' name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in this city until you are clothed power from on high. So when they had come together, they asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father by his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth, even Robbinsdale. Went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. The um, result of COVID-19 in China, truly the China 
virus and the spread has caused us to um, reflect upon distancing and has caused us to reflect upon the wearing of masks and it's really altered our lifestyle. And those who join us by television or those who join us by radio or YouTube or Facebook, um, we um, appreciate your, your prayers and your financial support. We're one of the very few um, uh, Methodist churches, especially, that has any um, television or um, presenta presentation in gatherings on a Sunday morning. We've observed all of the sanctions. We've observed all the laws. We've removed the, the Bibles and the hymnals and the, the comfortable cushions from our church. We've emphasized that, that um, there's no shaking of hands and embracing. Um, we, I think we can embrace outside, you know. But um, I don't know about this new normal. It just doesn't seem normal to me. But we work within the standards that we have, much like Jesus did in the scripture here. Jesus spoke, you know, in parables. You know, parable is like a gem, you know, a, a diamond that has many facets and can be utilized in many ways for to explain his purpose and his calling and his reason for coming here upon earth. In this parable that we are looking at um, today related in these verses is one of the, a very wide, it's a wide significance. It's oftentimes avoided in many churches, but it's a scripture that's been assigned if we want to go through the Bible in three years, uh, the lectionary, the lectionary, and, and I've never ever um, avoided scripture just because um, um, it's complicated. I just love to dig into the truths of God's scripture. And in it, in this scripture, the application it unquestionably points to the Jews. But it applies to you and I too. Because we're all kind of grafted into the kingdom of God. It's the first application is unquestionably points to the Jews. But we may not confine it to them. It contains heart heart-searching lessons that all of us are called to preach. We're called to teach. It's a spiritual picture. Here before the service, I, I gave Pastor George, I think it was last year's or previous year's um, Christmas card. Many of you have received that Christmas card. And that Christmas card is kind of a picture of our family. But it's not like meeting the family, and it's not like our family meeting Reverend George Groves and his lovely wife, Char, who you need to continue in your thoughts and prayers. It's a spiritual picture which speaks to us this day, this scripture, if we um, have an ear to hear. Because Jesus said, oftentimes we have ears, but we don't hear, and we have mouths, but we don't speak. And that's certainly true in the proclamation and sharing our testimony. And, and I want to make sure, Mike, that you share your testimony with Sarah before you leave. There's a lot of similarity between your testimony and hers and Robin's. And as a pastor, I like to connect testimonies up so it kind of 
builds and edifies and strengthens each and every one of us. The remark of Jesus in the scripture is very wise and it's very true. Parables, as I, I mentioned, are, um, are many, many-sided precious stones out, cut out to us to cast a luster more than in one, one direction. Well, let us observe in the first place here that the salvation, the salvation of the gospel is compared to a marriage feast. Now, I've conducted over nearly 50 years um, ministry. I still remember when I was only about a little over 20 years old and got my license to preach. And they call it um, Temple Corner. It's on the intersection of where the Templins lived in, in 210 in Todd County. I conducted a wedding out in the lawn. And it just seems like yesterday, yesterday. I remember that wedding because it, um, it certainly was my first. But here Jesus reminds us that the kingdom of God is like a wedding feast. And let us observe in the first place that the salvation of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is, is compared to a marriage feast. Now, I've had um, weddings. I've worked with couples um, for months and given, provided them literature and materials. And I'm sure that Pastor George has worked with many couples and and they've spent thousands and thousands of dollars on the weddings. And unfortunately, even before they get the wedding paid off, they're talking divorce. A couple that probably have lived together for a number of years, they tied the knot and they blamed almost the wedding on the fact of, for better or for worse, rich or poor, sickness and health, and started talking divorce. Even before the wedding was paid off, they're talking about divorce. A couple that get married at, uh, used to be the old railroad they, station in town. And it was almost like they bragged about $35,000, $40,000 for the wedding. There is a comparison being made here. There is in the gospel of Jesus here a, a, a complete provision complete provision for all the wants and all the needs of your soul and my soul. There is this supply of everything that can be required to relieve our spiritual hungers and our thirst and our spiritual thirst. There's pardon. How many of us need pardon? There's peace with God. How many of us, you know, that Probably one of the common concerns of those by way of television and radio and YouTube and Facebook, they, they want peace. They want peace with God. They want peace on earth. There is this need of a lively hope, hope for this world. There's a need for the glory in the life to come. And are set before us in the gospel such rich, 
such a rich, rich abundance. Now it's in this where Jesus says a feast of fat things. Now I'm I'm not too excited about fat on meat or I always like to trim trim the flat fat off. But my wife always says my dad said that the fat kinda flavors the meat. But Jesus uses this parable and he says the feast of fat things that all of the provision is owing to the love of the Son of God and to Jesus Christ, our God and our Lord. He offers, can you imagine this? He offers to take your sin and my sin and then to be reunited with himself to restore us to the family of God as dear children. We may feel alienated or estranged, but he gives us that invitation. He invites us in. Even before we know what direction we need to go in, he's calling us. He's calling us before we respond his own righteousness. He gives us that place in the kingdom of God and and to present us faultless, faultless, imagine that, faultless before his father's throne at the last day. Totally clean. Now the gospel, in short, is an offer of food to the hungry. It's an offer of joy. Joy to the mourner. It's, it's, a, it's an offering of a home, a home to the outcast. It's a loving friend to the lost. It's all of that. It's called glad tidings, glad tidings. God offers through his dear son to be at one with sinful, you and I. Let us not forget this. First John chapter 4, 10 says, Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us first and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Took all the property that was destroyed by our sins. Took that property and he said, I have control of it. Well, let us observe in the second place here that the invitation of the gospel is wide. It's full. It's broad, it's, it's unlimited. There's not enough descriptives to, to describe the gospel of good news. The Lord Jesus tells us in this parable that the king's servant said to those who were bidden, those who were called, all things are ready. All things are ready and come, come unto the marriage. There, there have been some artists that have captured this marriage table where you can look at the portrait and you can't see the end of the table. It's that feast. We are called to be the bride of Christ and he is the groom. There's nothing that's wanting on, on God's part for... Um, for the salvation 
of our souls. Everything that has been done has been done by Jesus. But certainly we want to follow that by our good works. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ, not of works, least any should boast. No one will ever be able to say at, at last that it was God's fault that someone died without Christ and is not saved. The Father is ready to love. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is welcomes us, gives us that invitation of reception. The Son is ready to pardon and cleanse guilt away. The Spirit is ready to sanctify and, and renew. Angels, imagine that angels are ready to rejoice over the returning of sinners, that multitudes of angels rejoice when you make a decision for Christ. I've been in a number of sports in high school and college, and it was always great to have cheerleaders on the side or a team just praising an accomplishment. But can you imagine that, that each and every one of us receiving the acclamation of angels when we accept Christ and when we come into, the, into heaven cheering us on? Angels are ready to rejoice over the returning of a sinner. Grace is ready to assist. The Bible is ready to instruct. God's love letters to you and I. One thing and one thing only is needful. And that is that the sinner, you and I must be ready. And we must be willing to come to Christ. Let also this never be forgotten. Let us not quibble and let us not split hairs upon all lost souls. The gospel always speaks of sinners as responsible and accountable beings. Even in our, our lostness, we're held accountable, we're held responsible. The gospel places an open door before all of us, the gospel. Though efficient, only to believers, those offers are sufficient for all the world. Though few enter the straight gate, all are invited to come in. And let us observe in the third place that the salvation of the gospel is rejected by many whom it is offered. I've always been excited about weddings and and there's certain things that stand out. I, I think of Mike and Clara's wedding, and I think of a number of other weddings. And I don't know if it was Clara's or Mike that when we came in the office, they said we we're kind of going around, we're interviewing um, for possible clergy and churches to get married in. And I, I said, you can stop here looking around. Shortly thereafter, it seemed like, you know, God provided Claris the opportunity to serve our church in beautiful organ music, and she did such a wonderful job, and I 
been in situations in churches where organists love to play either the piano or the organ, but not both, or, or they love to play, but they didn't love the company. We, we get all three in Polaris. We um, realize that there are thousands of hearers of the gospel who drive from no benefit, whatever. They listen to us Sunday after Sunday by way of television. I have a number of followers that listen to me Sunday after Sunday who just love to have me mess up and they're looking for areas of contention and some even former Methodist ministers that probably are much more liberal than I and they have trouble with my conservative evangelical Wesleyan theology. And many of them have made decisions. They, they have to go back to their congregations and they have to say, you know, we, we were not really converted before we, we shared Christ. We shared Christ with you. I'm reminded of a tremendous colleague of mine. He was a, like a third-generation Methodist, third-generation Methodist. Many of you probably know of young Peter Law, Dr. Peter Law. Had always trouble with his father's gospel. Bill Law was, was very conservative. His brother, Jonathan Law, was so conservative that he broke away from the Methodist church and he kind of started a church revive. And Peter accepted and was moved by the spirit much later in life. And I, I oftentimes wondered, Peter, how in the world could you preach for such a long time and then not truly be a, a disciple of Christ. And he said, what, what should have been a, a good opportunity if I had listened to my, my father or my older brother or my grandfather, and if I would have applied what they were preaching rather than being in defiance of it, I had wasted many years. But there are many people that listen Sunday after Sunday, year after year, and do not believe in the saving of the soul. They feel no special need of the gospel of good news. They, they are, see no special beauty in it. They do not perhaps hate it. They do not perhaps oppose it. Or they perhaps do not scoff at it. I had many couples who either the husband or the wife had come separately to church and and it was all right for the spouse to come either male or female and there was no real antagonism but they just didn't see the need the urge but they they did not receive it into their hearts they like other things they like other things far better they like their their money they like their lands they like their businesses. They like their pleasures. All are far more interesting subjects to them at their time than their souls. It's an awful state of mind to be in, but it's awfully common. 
one of my good friends, much older than me, then I got started into deer hunting. Multi-millionaire, owned a number of banks. He was an only child. He was a professor at St. Cloud State. Had made a decision under my ministry and had started to come to church, but now he's rejected his faith and his wife is the only one that goes to church. His only daughter chose to chose to reject the church also. Let us search our own hearts and, and take heed that, that it is not our own decision. Open sin may kill its thousands. Open sin kills its thousands. But indifference indifference and neglect of the gospel kill their tens, their tens of thousands. Multitudes will find themselves in hell, not so much because they openly broke the Ten Commandments as because they made light, light of the truth, light of the truth. Christ died for them on the cross, but they rejected Jesus. Seriously. And let us observe in the last place here that, that all false, false professors of religion will be detected, exposed, and eternally, eternally condemned at the last, last day. I can remember having numerous debates by some of my UTS professors they did not necessarily believe in an afterlife. They did not necessarily believe in the saving grace of Christ. They, they loved the historical Jesus. They always claimed to be very Jeffersonian, and, and there is no greater ethicist than Jesus, they would say. But they could never really come to the point of saying that Jesus died for them. I hope on their deathbed that they ask Christ for forgiveness for sins. I used to meet, meet with a prominent leader of a, a Catholic church. He was a professor at St. Thomas. He shared with me his alternate lifestyles and how he felt he was faithful to the gospel between eight and four and then he could lead his life that he wanted to after four and before eight in the morning. It was interesting how he could turn on and turn off Christianity and the rationale that these people use. But the Lord Jesus tells us that when the wedding was at last furnished with guests and the king came in to see them and he saw a person which had had not a wedding garment on, And Jesus asked that person how he came in there without the wedding garment, and he received no reply. And he then commanded the servants to bind him, bind him hand and foot, and, and to take him away. There will always be some false professors in the Church of Christ as long as the world stands. In this parable before us, 
One single castaway represents all the rest. It is impossible to read the hearts of people. I've been deceived. I'm sure you've been deceived. Deceivers and hypocrites will never be entirely excluded from the ranks of those who call themselves Christians. So long as people profess subjection to being a subject to the Christian faith and the gospel and lives and lives and outwardly maybe a correct life outwardly, we dare not say positively that they are, are not clothed in the righteousness of Christ. But there will be deception at the last day. The unerring, the unerring eye of God will discern who are Jesus, God's own and people, and, and who are not. Nothing but true faith shall abide the fire, the fire of God's judgment. All spurious, spurious Christians in Christianity shall be weighed in the balances and, and found wanting. None but true believers shall sit down at the marriage supper of the Lamb. It shall avail the hypocrite nothing that they have been a loud, loud talker about religion and had the reputation of being an eminent Christian among themselves. I used to work in a mental health clinic as a counselor and many of my clients were had heard voices. They were always hearing voices and and um and once they even became committed to Christ and supposedly supporters of Jesus Christ and the gospel, they, those voices, even after numerous times of exorcism and a form of deliverance, they, they would hear voices and the voices would contradict their reading of the Bible. And, and as much as they tried to read the Bible and as much as they um, tried to get away from drugs and tried to get on the straight and narrow, these voices would live with them into life, even medication, meth heads and, you know, the trauma of destruction that drugs and have caused. The reputation of being an eminent Christian. His triumphant, triumphant shall be but for a moment. That person shall be stripped of all their bower, bowered, and, and stand naked and shivering before the very bar of God, speechless, self-condemned, hopeless and helpless. They, the scripture shall, says they shall be cast into outer darkness where shame and, and reap according to what they have sown. And well may our Lord say, there shall be weeping and there shall be gnashing of teeth. And let us learn wisdom from this solemn picture of this parable and give diligence to make our calling and, and our election sure. We ourselves are among those to whom the word is spoken. All things are ready. All things are ready. Come to the marriage. Come to the marriage.
Let us not sleep as others do, but watch and, and let us be sober. Time hastens on. The king will come soon in to see the guests. Have we or have we not got on this wedding garment? Have we put on Christ? That is the grand question that arises out of this parable. May we never rest till we can give a satisfactory answer to. May those heart-searching words daily ring in our ears. Many are called, but few, few are, are chosen. Just um, went to the quite knowledgeable Google, and I asked a no-brainer question. I, I said, can a body live without blood? And the results were very quick to agree that one cannot live life without blood flowing through the body. Blood is vital for life in a human. Blood is an absolute. Air is also vital for life in humans. Facts show us that we can go about three weeks without food. We can um, go three days without water and approximately three minutes without air. Air is an absolute. And these absolutes are accepted globally and without question. Absolutes are a fact and a crucial part of this world. There are also absolutes to get into the eternal spiritual world with our, with our Lord and after our physical death, whether in the physical realm or the spiritual realm, either way we had the absolutes to deal with. And there could be much said about this, but I just want to touch in closing on some of these absolutes. Let us bow in prayer. This absolute is recorded in Romans 3, chapter 23, that all, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All is everyone, and this is true today as when it was first penned in the scriptures. Another absolute is sin leads to death. The soul that sinneth shall die, according to Ezekiel 18.20. And, and for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 6.23. Both state this absolute. And we're going to deal with these two worlds. We're going to deal, each and every one of us, with these two worlds. This life in the afterlife. I have friends that tell me at the grave, everything is over. This is absolutely not true, as Hebrews 9.27 states. It is appointed unto all once to die, but after this the judgment. And let us see what Jesus has to say in John 5.28-29. Jesus says, Marvel. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear God's voice and shall come forth, and they shall that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of the damnation. Absolutely everyone is coming back to life again. The only thing is in question is which resurrection. We all have to make the choice to believe or not. Mark 16, 16 states it clearly. The one that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but the one that believeth not shall be damned. Belief is an absolute and mandatory for heaven. And what has been shared here this morning is not opinion or religious teaching of some X, Y, Z church. 
Jesus himself said these words in John 14, 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one cometh unto the Father but by Jesus. Eternity is an absolute and the cross is the door. Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 through 11 says, reveals to us this truth, that at the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of those in heaven and those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now the question is, the million dollar question is, why not bow our knee immediately? It's not like we're not going to do it. The real question is when? If you choose by your free will to do it now, you will change the absolutes of eternity to heaven. And if you choose not to, you will still bow your knee, but instead you will spend eternity in hell. It's absolutely doesn't make sense. You not do it now. With every head bowed and every eye closed and those by way of television, radio, and Facebook, and YouTube, all you have to do is say this simple prayer of the ABCs. A stands for acknowledgement of our sins. B stands for belief. And C stands for confessing. Join me in this prayer, dear Jesus. I acknowledge your Lord and Savior. Help me to believe in you. Help me to confess you. I thank you for your forgiveness. Empower me by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you turn with me now to your bulletins this morning and join me in the offertory prayer and, and then immediately following we'll stand for the benediction and doxology. Let us pray. Almighty God, deserving of all honor and praise, we bring our gifts this morning, remembering that the offering you truly seek is the offering of our whole lives. Help us, we pray, to live a life that is worthy in your sight. When we struggle and stumble, help us up. Put us on the path. On the advice of the Apostle Paul, may our lives be focused on whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, so that our offering may be pleasing in your eyes. In Christ we pray, amen. Would you stand now for the doxology, please? Pastor George Groves, you're retired, but I know that you, you are retreaded for the Lord. And would you like to dismiss this in a word of prayer?
Space, which I 